one of the kind of misgivings that are out there is, oh, well, I'm going to put in a battery, I'm going to put in solar and storage, and I'm just going to use the battery all night long, right? To do that, you have to oversize your solar so much. I mean, on the order of like three to five times your base load, and then you have to have a battery that's so big, it just doesn't make any financial sense. So what this leads us to is, will we ever be able to use solar plus storage and, and go through the night with just solar plus storage? The answer is not economically. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 80 happening right now. Glad to have you all on board as we do each and every episode. And boy, we are rocking and rolling in 2022. We've got a tremendous episode for you today. Uh, welcome to the program, Mr. Daniel Krotzer, CEO of Fractal EMS, talking all things battery energy storage. And I'll tell you what, the thing about Daniel that you, information you're going to get from him is, you know, you think you know what you've heard about energy storage. You think you You've got an idea, and listen, I know a lot of you do. A lot of you, we've got some of the best listeners around in the renewable energy and energy transition audience. But Daniel breaks down some of the misnomers and goes into a little bit more of the weeds, if you will, about energy storage and kind of the mechanics behind it, and more so the economics behind battery storage. And so it's a great listen, and you're, I promise you, you're going to learn a lot more about energy storage than you knew before you stopped by. But let's get down to some things we got to take care of before we get into today's episode, and we've got a lot to get to. Number one, shout out to Mr. Alexander Vining. He is the 1,000th follower of the eRenewable and Green Insider page over there on LinkedIn. We had a little fun with that uh, on the LinkedIn page yesterday. A lot of fun there. Had a lot of views as well as just a lot of folks who participated with it. So shout out to everybody that did that. But a definite shout out to our guy, Alexander Vining, senior talent partner from Carter Maddox. Who is Carter Maddox? Well, I'm glad you asked. They are the specialist growth partner to renewable energy businesses of all sizes, offering growth solutions from staffing recruitment to setting up payroll in new countries to help allow for continuous development of teams. So it sounds like we got to get Alex on the program at some point. But again, we threw it out there. We said, hey, whoever gives us that 1,000 follow will get a shout out on the program. And so Alexander, thank you so much. And to everybody else that participated as well yesterday, thank you guys for continuing to support the Green Insider Podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. All right, speaking of that, let's go out to our COO and co-founder, Miss Ann Niemer, to tell you a little bit about what we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Ann Niemer here, co-founder and COO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know everyone has sustainability needs and wants. We want to help you reach your ESG goal. Our goal is to bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both buyers and sellers. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you need to procure energy or find an off-taker for a renewable project, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Our other projects include solar or battery storage development, renewable natural gas or responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, and HVAC efficiency upgrades, or unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, all helping our customers reach their sustainability goals and meeting their ESG needs. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. 
thank you so much for that, Miss Ann Neymar. And as we alluded to, give us a follow over there on our LinkedIn page. You will be glad you did. Of course, obviously, we got over a thousand followers, and you can catch up on all of the latest information of what's going on with the company, auctions, as well as RFPs, and of course, don't forget the Green Insider Podcast. Now it's time for a name a news minute, and today it is none other than the brand new executive director, Mr. Tim Berrigan, making his name a news minute debut. Here is the name a news minute with Mr. Tim Berrigan. Tim? Hi, Fred. This is Tim Berrigan, executive director of the North American Energy Markets Association. Thanks for the opportunity to provide another name a news minute. First and foremost, let me wish a happy new year to you and all of the Green Insider community. This is my first news minute as name is new executive director, effective January 1st. But don't worry, Steve Shepard remains on board behind the scenes through our spring conference to ensure a smooth transition. The entire NAMA community thanks Steve for his leadership and friendship over the past three years. Donna and I will strive to keep delivering quality conferences, regional receptions, and virtual presentations to our members. We look forward to our continued partnership with the Green Insider. NAMA's virtual presentation series will continue in 2022. We have had some challenges getting the panelists' schedules to align, but our next presentation is a panel discussion that explores optimizing different storage technologies in different renewable scenarios. Following that is a special series of three interrelated panels, discussions which will take a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities presented by the explosive growth in the energy-related needs of data centers and electric vehicles. All of the presentations are approximately one hour and are held at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Look for additional information on NEMA's website, www.nema.com, and in future NEMA News Minutes. NEMA's member-only small-scale regional receptions continue. The most recent reception was held in Houston last Thursday, January 13th. Nearly 50 members attended. NEMA held the reception at a venue with a capacity for 150 people to facilitate social distancing. We did have a few cancellations, as we asked our members to send their regrets if they had any cold or flu-like symptoms. Tentatively, we are planning for another member reception in the upper Midwest in either late June or July. Stay tuned for the details about that reception. NEMA's Spring Conference will be held at Lost Pines Resort in Bastrop, Texas, April 19th through the 21st. We are really excited to deliver this conference. It is a beautiful resort comprised of many outdoor venues which will facilitate networking while still able to socially distance. Registration for the conference should go live the last week of January 2022. Ahead of registration going live, people are welcome to contact me or Donna with any questions. On the membership front, we're very excited to announce the addition of a new associate member over the past few weeks. Our newest member is cquant.io. We were able to meet one of cquant.io's representatives, Lance Carter, at the reception in Houston last week. We are excited to have yet another great Texan amongst our members. Information regarding our new members, RFPs, and job opportunities can be found at NEMA's website. We recently posted a few job openings on behalf of the Energy Authority. Thank you for the opportunity to provide this news minute. We will provide another one in a few weeks. And we hope to see everyone at Lost Pines Resort in late April. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Tim Berrigan. And, of course, you can find the standalone NEMA News Minute over on the NEMA page. And, of course, you can follow it on our Green Insider Podcast page as well. So definitely give that a follow. You will be glad you did. Great information there. And, of course, you can find all that information over at NEMA.com as well. 
All right, let's get down to the program, the moment you guys have all been waiting for, the one, the only, Mr. Daniel Kratzer, CEO over at Fractal EMS, and of course, got to give him a big shout out as well. Former Navy man like myself, so thank you for your service, Mr. Daniel Kratzer, and thank you to all the men and women of the military, past and present, for being listeners of the Green Insider Podcast. Without you doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. All right, let's get down to Mr. Kratzer. Again, great information, battery storage, something that we really haven't gotten into too much in depth here on the Green Insider Podcast, and I'll tell you what, you're definitely going to learn something today. Mr. Kratzer gets into kind of the forecast of battery storage for 2022, kind of what you can expect as well as kind of what they're going to do at Fractal. He also gets into some of the misnomers about the four-hour battery. Great information there. He gets into the economics behind solar and storage, and then he also has some sage advice for those that are looking to get into the battery storage uh, space. And if you haven't gotten into it by now, well, you may want to hear what Mr. Kratzer has to say. So without further ado, please welcome to the program the CEO of Fractal EMS, Mr. Daniel Kratzer. Ten years ago, I was getting out of the Navy. I was in my MBA program and a recruiter reached out and said, hey, I have this cool job. It's in Austin, which is where you want to be. And they're doing some cool stuff with batteries. And so I, t- I take a really uh, fast, you know, quick glance and I'm like, oh, but they're uh, 20 minutes away uh, or 20 miles away. And it's funny because, you know, traffic in Austin is pretty bad. And so I just because it was 20 miles away, I said, no, I'm not interested. Uh, that'd be suicide trying to, you know, get through that traffic. And uh, she said, really? Like, I thought, you know, I, I, I would have thought this would be a good gig for you. Uh, and I was like, no. Six months later, she reaches back out. She goes, hey. That job that you turned down, it's available again. And before you say no, it's the opposite way of traffic. So it's a true 20 minute drive. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll, I'll take a look. Uh, so it turns out to be with a storage company. Uh, at the time they were called Extreme Power. They've gone through some name changes, uh, were known as Unicos for a bit, uh, got acquired by Greco now. So that's, that's where I got my start. And back then it was Extreme Power, it was AES, and, and A123, uh, those were the major players in energy storage. And, uh, you know, this was the very beginning of lithium. Uh, actually, we were still doing projects with lead acid batteries. So that's where we got to start. Fast forward a little bit, uh, you know, that company essentially went out of business, hence why it got acquired by others. So the whole reason that Fractal started is because we were operating a project for Duke Energy. And Duke Energy called me after they found out that I was laid off and they said, well, hey, we need your help to potentially transfer operations over to Duke because we don't know if, you know, the company's going to make it through bankruptcy. And I was looking for a job. So I said, sure. Uh, So they said, all right, well, we'll, you know, set up a, uh, give us your consulting information and get you set up. So I immediately hung up the phone and and I typed into Google, how do you start a consulting company? (laughs) So. So that's Fractal. That's how Fractal started. Um, and, and, you know, this is a little over eight years ago now. Uh, and we've just kind of grown uh, as we've seen opportunities. You know, we started with, with consulting, we went into modeling, and then now, de- um, and then now deep into controls. So real quick, so if, if, if Duke doesn't ask you to kind of consult on their project and what they're doing, Fractal's not here. I mean, is that kind of what the the gist of this? And you know, you and being a shrewd Google operator. I mean, if that is that the is that is that the story here? Yeah, yeah. You know, I might might have gone off to work for someone else, and uh, yeah, yeah. It just we wouldn't be talking today. How did you get the name Fractal? Ah, uh, I had just read 
black swan by Nassim Taleb. He likes fractals. He, and one of the things you have to do to start a company is to find a name. I, ke I kept striking out on names. Like you wouldn't believe how many company names there are that are already taken. So it just turns out this one wasn't. Fantastic. What a great story. What a tremendous story. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the maturation and evolution of battery storage and energy storage from when you started 10 years ago, which doesn't seem like that long ago to where we're at right now. You know, there's actually a, a pretty predictable cycle for storage. And um, I say this because we saw it in Hawaii, we saw it in Alaska, we started, we're seeing it in the different ISOs within the mainland. The cycle goes like this. You have a problem maintaining frequency on your grid. It turns out batteries are really good at helping with that. And you only really need like a 15 minute battery to provide a tremendous amount of value to help maintain your frequency reasonably around, you know, whether you're at 60 Hertz or 50 Hertz, that's where you start. And we did that starting in Hawaii, Alaska. That's what PJM did. That's what ERCOT did, uh, both eight years ago, uh, you know, bringing batteries to help with frequency regulation. All right. So you do that. Uh, the next one you're, you're like, well, that worked so well. Um, what if we have a battery on standby? to help with spinning reserves, uh, you know, backup generation. You know, if, if you have a, a big generator going offline, batteries can jump in at a snap of a finger and help to bolster what you just lost. So that's when you get kind of a spinning reserve service out of the battery. And, you know, that tends to look more like a 30 minute to two hour battery with one hour being the most common. All right, so that's the second thing you do. If you're the type of grid that appreciates things like that, you probably are also doing wind and solar. And so then you start to have issues with too much generation uh, at certain times. And then that's when you get into a little bit longer duration. So maybe you start thinking about two hours of duration and then three hours um, and then, you know, that gets you to the point where California said, well, we see a ecosystem where storage is very involved. You know, we want to value the storage uh, in a very precise manner. So the way we're going to do it is we're going to say a four hour battery will receive full credit for resource adequacy. So that's how, you know, we got to that point in California. And now that sentiment is spreading to different parts of the country. In ERCOT a year ago now, we had our big freeze and the big complaint was that four hour battery only produced 2.6 hours of power because it wasn't winterized enough to be able to maintain the four, four hours. Do you have any thoughts on how that whole process worked and where the problems lied? Certainly, certainly. And keep in mind, I, I helped put in a lot of uh, the batteries in Texas, in ERCOT. So there aren't that many four hour batteries in ERCOT. Um, actually, I can only think of one. Uh, there are probably two or three more, right? So when, when you say, hey, a, a four hour battery only put out maybe 2.6 hours, a couple reasons why that might have happened. Uh, number one, it could have been at a state of charge, meaning, you know, how much percent juice is in the battery. Like it could have been sitting at like 70% uh, or 60%, which is about the 2.6 hours. I mean, it just randomly, you know, at the time, that's all it had in it. And, and so that's all you got out of it. A couple other reasons why that could have happened in the U.S. And I've never figured out why this is the case, but in the U.S., in most jurisdictions outside of California, you have to power your aux loads from the retail provider that's local, right? They make power plants do this. They make storage do this. What's weird is they don't make solar do that. 
right? For whatever reason, solar has an exemption. So the other reason why it could have only given 2.6 is because the local utility may have cut out the power to the local distribution. And so then the battery can't operate. So are you seeing the technology in Texas and ERCOT change since the storm at all last year, or has it been kind of status quo as far as you can tell? You know, I, I would say, and we have the luxury of putting in projects, helping commission them, being involved with the design. So I can tell you that we're doing a 260 megawatt battery in ERCOT and it has backup power. Now, not everyone will be happy to know that it's natural gas backup power instead of like a kind of a big UPS, but, but yeah, you know, for that very reason, they want backup power so that at least keep the battery safe, if not help, you know, with the health of the battery, you know, if the local distribution goes out it, it still may not be able to operate, but, but we saw that in the freeze, like, you know, there are various reasons why power plants weren't operating and that's, you know, that's a, a, a nice conversation um, to get into those. So it, it's complex. Like sometimes it's not going to operate because it doesn't have enough juice, sometimes because it didn't get ox load, and then sometimes because it just stopped working. And what in your mind, in the, in the 10 years you've been doing this, now that battery storage is, again, starting to be more prominent, what is the biggest misnomer about battery storage? So there are two. Uh, so the first one is that solar plus storage, like what exactly are you getting out of the battery? Most solar plus storage projects are going in with the ability to discharge about two hours worth of the solar power, but at full power. So example, 100 megawatt solar with a 50 megawatt, 200 megawatt hour battery. So th this is a very, and we'll get into why people are picking this ratio. So 100 megawatt solar, 50 megawatt, 200 megawatt hour battery. That's a four hour battery. The thing about this size is, well, your battery's at 50 megawatts. So when the sun goes down, you start to discharge, you discharge at 50 megawatts, not 100, uh, up to four hours, right? The thing about this ratio, it is at the very edge of the project on a daily basis, being able to fully charge the battery, right? So what happens is during the summer, you have plenty of sun and you are almo you're almost guaranteed, even on rainy days, to fully charge that 200 megawatt hour project. But in the winter, becomes increasingly difficult because your days are shorter, your sun has a worse angle of irradiance. So actually it's gonna be common that you don't fully charge the battery. Maybe you get to 90%, 95%. There'll be days where you only get 70. So it turns out that this ratio, the 100 megawatt uh, solar with the 50 megawatt, 100, uh, 200 megawatt hour battery, that's at the very edge of having like a, call it 97 to 98% chance that you fully charge the battery, right? So one of the kind of misgivings that are out there is, oh, well, I'm going to put in a battery, I'm going to put in solar and storage, and I'm just going to use the battery all night long, right? To do that, you have to oversize your solar so much. I mean, on the order of like three to five times your base load, and then you have to have a battery that's so big, it just doesn't make any financial sense. So what this leads us to is, will we ever be able to use solar plus storage and, and go through the night with just solar plus storage? The answer is not economically, like it's possible physically, but 
you're gonna get, you're gonna get so many push so much pushback from ratepayers um, if that's like how you're gonna operate your business, uh, how you're gonna operate your grid as a utility. Um, so that that's a big one. I yeah. would think that you'd st there'd be enough there, but you're saying that based on this, that that's not going to be enough energy. Even though the idea is that, yes, you still don't use as much power at night, it's still not enough from the battery. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some special cases. Let's take like a grocery store, right? Put on solar plus storage during the day, uses a lot of the solar while the battery's charging, still a very oversized solar, but then everyone leaves, lights come off, ACE. AC set points get adjusted. Yeah, you can make it through the night on battery. But um, if if you're trying to do that with your home, an apartment, a community of homes, because their loads happen in the nighttime, that's going to be tough. The other you know misconception about storage is that all storage are you know is four hours. The majority of projects that we're doing are not four hours. They're, you know, anywhere from one to up to four hours. You know, there's nothing special about four hours. Actually, if, if you look at just the economics of low prices versus high prices, arbitrage, right? Buy low, so high. In ERCOT, there are really only two hours per day where it's worth buying, two hours per day where it's worth selling, right? So economically, it's really tough to build a four hour battery because those marginal hours, those shoulder hours on the two best hours, those shoulder hours are very marginal. Those are like not worth building, you know, spending the CapEx. In California, you do have a little bit broader price curve, but it's still actually pretty tough to make a case for four hours. The only places where you can really do it are the nodes that have a whole bunch of solar. You, you know, inevitably you've heard about the duck curve, the nodes in California where the duck curve is really intense. Yes, you can do a four hour battery there makes sense because the four hours are really, you know, you have four hours of low prices, four hours of high prices, but you know, you go to PJM, you go to New York, a little bit more similar to ERCOT in that after the second hour, the, you know, the third, and especially the fourth hour, very marginal, typically not worth it. Let me go back to your grocery store analogy. If that grocery store has battery storage on site, can the grocery store in theory, when power is cheaper on the grid in the evening, late at night, they could pull that power from the grid into their battery. And then in the peak of the day from three to five, when grid power is expensive, they could run that two to three hour battery in place of using the power from the grid from their electricity provider. Is that one use for the battery? Can they do that? Certainly. And especially in places where the peak prices are just super high, makes a lot of sense. So you see this in California, you see that even in, in some places in, in ERCOT and then New York and PJM. Yeah, that, that works. You know, it's very locational dependent. And the other aspect that is really important is that the load will, I guess, comply or, or will work with that situation. Because the counter example is a data center. A data center's load, you know, it has kind of a base load that's always there. The only change throughout the day is weather dependent. Whereas a grocery store, you know, hey, at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, I'm gonna turn off the lights, I'm gonna readjust the HVAC, right? It just depends on that load situation. Most people hear the word battery storage they are thinking of it as renewable energy. But in the example we just gave, since it just came off the grid, it's not renewable energy, correct? Yeah, I would say at this moment, most of the batteries that are installed in the US are not coupled to renewables. Okay, 
So what happens to your example of the 100 megawatts of solar to the 50, mega, or 50 megawatts of battery? Is that battery not being filled with power from the solar excess power going to the solar array? Or is that battery being filled from the grid itself? Good question. I laugh because there's some nuances in here. And we're doing a lot of these. Most of our projects are actually going in with solar. It's just that the existing infrastructure, battery infrastructure, just, you know, they're built without it so far. Gotcha. But physically, you can make an argument that as you charge a battery that's right next to solar, most of the electron flow is going to the battery directly, right? And from an IRS perspective, that's the case, right? Now, where there's a little bit of, where some people get surprised, the ISO, uh, whether it's KISO, ERCOT, PJM, NISO, actually the ISO considers that uh, when you're doing that, you're actually charging from the grid. So they're saying the solar rays, putting it up to the grid, and the battery's pulling it down from the grid, even though they're sitting right beside each other. Correct. So technically, is that how it actually works, or is that just financially yeah. that's how that does work? Financially, so that, once that's again, works. it's not really renewable when it comes from the grid. Well, okay, okay. So let, let's let's make sure. So it is still renewable. It's just that on a financial basis, that's how the energy is settled. But physically, and then also for IRS purposes, it is coming from solar. Now see, that's what makes this stuff so fun. All these little nuances. And I hope the listeners appreciated what they, we tried to just go through the mechanics of how battery storage works and different ins and outs of the different arrangements. So that's a great discussion, Daniel. Thank you for that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of how Fractal operates and for the uninformed. And hell, I'm, I'm learning more and more about, I've probably learned more in the last 30 minutes talking to you than I knew about battery storage prior to. Kind of how Fractal operates and in, in what y'all do in the battery storage realm. Yeah, real, real quick. We are the operating system for storage projects. And the interesting thing is that Fractal actually uh, sometimes works with Tesla. You know, how can that be? Well, Tesla, they have software that runs their battery. But when you want to run Tesla with your solar, you need someone like Fractal to coordinate between the two. So in those cases, we work with Tesla. But when we're not working with Tesla, we actually do everything that Tesla does as far as controls and, and the software that they provide. Someone comes to us and they say, hey, Fractal, we're interested in using this brand of inverter, this brand of batteries. We just make it work. Just like when you buy a Windows computer, Windows doesn't care whose hard drive you're using, whose RAM, whose keyboard. They're set up to make every everyone work together. That's what we do. We make just different types of components work together, and then we give you really nice dashboards and reports to go along with it. How do you see this energy storage market playing out in 2022 and beyond? And obviously, I'm guessing Fractal plans to be uh, right there in the middle of it all. Certainly. So the big thing that's going on right now and people are filling it for, you know, in, in different aspects of their life. So supply chain, basically across the board, the battery vendors are increasing prices. And that's because their costs are increasing for the commodities uh, and materials that go into mainly lithium. This is something that people weren't planning on, right? Because people were thinking, hey, prices are going to continue to come down. You know, I have this project with a 2023 COD. I have a PPA. And, you know, I'm going to build it dirt cheap. What they're finding is it's not dirt cheap anymore. It's actually higher than it was two and three years ago. So what we're helping with, you can come to us and you can say, hey, I want to use this inverter and this battery because separately they're giving us really good pricing, right? 
So we can make that work for you. Whereas if you went somewhere else where it's a more turnkey type of integrator, they may not, you know, have the same pricing you have because they're kind of interested in fulfilling a, a certain amount of offtake or, you know, a contract and, hey, I'm going to buy this many megawatts from you. So they may not be able to ship to another vendor, whereas we don't have that issue. We can help you put together any configuration you want. So people right now, developers of projects, they're going through a lot of of pain because prices are going up but you know we help with that because you find the best prices we'll put it together for you considering you've been around for as long as you have and i'm I'm guessing you're extremely well connected do you see yourself getting into the you know battery side of it to where okay folks are saying look we've got this one price but hey dan daniel do you think you could uh you know what, what do you recommend and maybe do you go in on that side of things where you're starting to bring in the batteries as well or are you just strictly staying on the you know software side bringing everybody together we'll stick on the software side there are three people who make money in storage all right it's hopefully the owner slash developer the container company and the software Those are the only parts of the storage ecosystem that currently make any margin or any profit. How long did it take you to figure that out? About two years after I joined uh, my previous company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after, after reviewing the financials, realizing, and then, you know, just over and over repeats itself as we've done analysis at Fractal, you know, we saw this with solar panels, the risk of being a cell manufacturer is that someone else builds a newer factory six months or a year after you build yours, they're going to be cheaper, right? Because they found ways to be more cost efficient. So this happened time and time again with solar panel manufacturers where, Hey, I have the latest factory. I'm at, you know, 45 cents a watt. Well, then someone comes in and they're at 40 cents. Then the next person comes in, they're at 35. So same thing's going to happen in cell manufacturing. So it's going to be tough for the equipment providers to, maintain dominance because anytime someone builds a new cell manufacturing facility, I mean, they're, they're going to be more cost competitive. Now, the, the one thing I'll say though, I think that the inverter companies are pretty much as lean as you can physically be like, like the physics, you know, you can't like, like they can't get any better. Um, so I, I think they've settled out. So I think we'll see the same people now for the next at least decade, but on the battery cells, I think five years from now, like there are some people that we don't talk about anymore. What's the software competition like right now? I mean, I, I'm sure everybody's trying to be, you know, try to be the next Daniel Kratzer. Well, yeah, that, that's an interesting question because we don't have a whole lot of competition with our exact business model. Our competition is really just the legacy of how you used to procure storage. So you used to go to Fluence or Watsila to buy a turnkey battery system. What you do now, or at least if you want to be profitable, what you do now is just like the solar business model, you go out and you buy your own batteries, maybe even the inverters, you hire an EPC to put it together for you. And then, you know, you come to someone like Fractal to integrate it and provide the software. So if anything, um, the, the main competitor is just people think that's how you put a battery system together, but as you can see, uh, you know, in our two gigawatt hours of operational and then, you know, our huge pipeline of awarded projects, that's changing. I, I do think that people will try to develop their own software. I'll, I'll give you an idea. 
we'd already built our own software. Like I, you know, I brought over a team that had built software before, uh, you know, for where we used to work. It still took us two years to do it, even though we had already done it before. At Fractal, we're small, we're, uh, you know, small and nimble. So 15 people at Fractal, although you will probably hear about a very cool result of a capital raise that we're in the middle of. So some big things happening there. You know, I, I would say, let, let's talk about the market first, right? 2022, I think that in 2022, we just in 22, basically double the amount of storage that has been done since we started tracking it. 2022 is going to be a huge year. There are a lot of batteries being shipped as we speak, and uh, there's just going to be a tremendous amount of project installations. Uh, so in 2022, I, I think what really happens in 22 and 23, the people that are going to be players in storage will establish themselves in 2022 and 2023. And by and large, also, you know, the people that are suppliers and the EPCs, et cetera. So these are crucial years. If you're at a company that says, oh, I want to get into storage. If you don't have a project this year, and especially by next year, ain't gonna happen. It, it's too late. Yeah, you, you just, you know, people won't have confidence in you. And, you know, what's happening today is, if you're a little late, like say you're an EPC or say you're a supplier of whether it be batteries or inverters, you know, if you're a little late delivering your product or getting your project commission, you know, they're like, okay, well, oh, you know, everyone's new here and that only lasts so long. If you start being late in 2022 and 2023, you're going to get killed with liquidated damages. And so if you don't have experience by then, people just aren't going to trust that you can do it because they've seen the problems <laughs> of hiring someone that hasn't done it before, and they're just not going to take that chance anymore. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Daniel Kratzer. Great stuff from him. And again, we learned a lot about battery storage, something that we really hadn't gotten into. And of course, we will have him on again, get into some of the hydrogen stuff as well. So a lot of good information there, and we can't thank him enough for stopping by the Green Insider. All right, we've got a lot to get to uh, in the next coming weeks as well. A lot of great content coming up. We've got Nick Cohen, CEO of Doral Renewables, going to join us, as well as John Markwell, the head of commercial management over at Exus Partners. And of course, both of them are great NEMA members as well. So uh, like I said, if you're not a NEMA member, you may want to check Check it out, NEMA.com. You will be glad that you did. Of course, also, too, don't forget, you can catch all of the Green Insider Podcasts over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and eatrenew.net. And, of course, if you listen to us on Apple Pod, and we know that a lot of you do, give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promise you learn more about the energy transition and renewable energy, and in this case, battery storage, than you knew about it before you stopped by. Got to give a huge shout-out, finally, to the entire eRenewable and Green Insider team, Mike and Roger, Al, all the listeners, all the guests, because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Thank you so much. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.